Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope, and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. Good morning. Okay, so if you could open up your Bibles, just anywhere you want. Luke chapter 15 would probably be more helpful for you. Okay, you guys look pretty burnt. (laughs) There's this thing, brand new invention called sunscreen. We also have an umbrella. You might want to get one. Also, I want us to do something different. Uh, We are going to start a movement. It makes absolutely no sense to have a July 4th weekend. Okay? July 4th was two days ago. This is completely different. A completely different weekend. So you don't all need to go to the beach. We don't need to take up all the parking. So this is where it starts. So you can remember, this is where it went. July 6th, 2014 is when the movement began to end July 4th weekend. You can have the week, whatever, but that weekend, let's just make it like a normal weekend. So if we actually want to go to the beach, we can find a place to park, okay? Let's spread that out. Now, of course, you can go to the beach, but let everybody else know this is not July 4th weekend. We've pushed it out. Okay, so um, this is the end of our series, and the name of the series is Evangelism is Lame. Because so many of us, when we hear evangelism, there's this warning bell that goes off inside like, oh, they don't mean that, do they? Or you just assume they mean awkward, uncomfortable, um, inappropriate, uh, irregardless of where someone else is at. And so, but the reality is, is that's not what God intended. So we've been looking at that from all different kinds of angles, Um, but That, sharing this good news, I don't even like using the word evangelism because your mind goes somewhere, but this idea of sharing this good news of who Christ is, shining our light. Um, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Not you could be, you should be, if you work hard enough this month. No, you are. Regardless of how we shine, we are the light of the world. That's how he created, that his followers would be the ones that bring light into darkness. So what does that look like? If we say evangelism, everyone's like, oh, I don't want to do that. Let's follow Christ and see what that looks like. So we've been talking about that for the past three or four weeks. And it's actually one of the primary reasons that we're going to two services in September. Um, there's another reason. Let me share that first. The other reason why we're going to two services. This is, I was explaining to my friend um, why we were going to two services. And he said, oh. That makes a lot of sense. He goes, I heard someone describe the church like going to a basketball game. So imagine you're going to the Laker game because, I mean, why would you go watch the Clippers? So you're going to see the Lakers play. So you're going to see the Lakers play. You're there in Staples Center. And down below, there are 10 guys that are working really hard. So hard to the point that they really need a timeout. They need a break. And this stadium, this arena which is like church he described, you have this huge crowd. And all of those watching this game, they really need some exercise. He said, that's what church is like in the United States, where we'll take a few people and we send them off and we make them run up and down the court and sweat and sweat. And everybody else just goes, oh, that's good. That's good. Hey, can you give me a beer? Hey, can I have a hot dog? Hey, can I have some chips? Like instead of what it should be, which is us gathering together to be with each other. So when we go to these two services, the reason is is because... 
um, we don't have it as a goal to stay small, but we need to, regardless, whatever it is like, need to feel small because we want you to be connected. And so that's why we're going to two services. That's one of the main reasons in September we're doing that. The other reason that we're going to two services is this. I don't know why it works this way, but it always does. And it's one of the main reasons we even started branches in the first place. When we started branches, if you start a new church, 60 to 70% of the people that will come will be people that are for the first time coming to church or people that have walked away from the faith for whatever reason or been burned and they'll come back or people that have never heard will come because it's new. Crazy, huh? I don't know why it works that way, but when you create another service, it gets filled up. The reason that we planted branches was not because we need another church. Okay? There are some amazing churches, like some amazing churches. And when I talk to my friends, and, and I, uh, it's funny, when people talk about branches, they say who we are, which is why we started. We're a church for people that don't go to church. Now, if you've grown up in church or you've been in church for a while and you hear that, and I, I invariably hear people sharing stories. Yeah, I told my friend. My friend's in Arizona. I told him, hey, yeah, we're part of this church for people who don't go to church. What is that? Like, what? It, that doesn't even make sense to me. However, if it's someone that hasn't been to church before and they hear that, they're like, oh, that's for me. Because <laughs> they get it. If you're inside the fishbowl, you don't understand how weird you are. You don't understand how weird you act. You don't know how much of a jump it is. Right? Like you live here. Oh, we're in the beach. We're in shorts. People go, wait, you're not dressed up? Where are your ties? I thought that's what you were supposed to do. There's these mindsets. We have people all the time that will walk by and they tell me this story all the time. They'll see our little sign, you know, branches. Wait, what is this? And then in little letters, a church for people who go to church, that's me. And they walk in. But someone else who's been at church, oh, I'm just skipping today. And they look by, church for people who go to church, that's dumb. And then they walk by. Fine. Because that's not why we started this. And that's what we're going to finish on this morning. We've talked about it time and time again. Of course, believers can be a part of branches. A lot of you know that because you're believers and you came to start it with us or you've come since. But we exist because we believe this. We believe that people who are on the outside of faith, who don't know Christ, are more important than people like me who have a faith. Notice I didn't say more valuable, but more important. And I'm going to prove it to you from God's word. So if you could open up uh, to Luke chapter 15. This should sound very familiar to you. Um, and we are going to look at Jesus as he is speaking to these tax collectors, okay? And these sinners, and especially to these Pharisees. Who are the Pharisees? They're the people who would say... Wait, a church for people to go to church? That's dumb. We're all religious. Everybody knows they should just come. Get over yourselves. This is, this is the right thing. This is the way it should be. Stop with all your excuses and just come. The Pharisees were the leaders. They were the religious leaders of the temple, or in our terms, the church. And so these Pharisees looked and saw all of these tax collectors and sinners. And we always focus on those two words, like tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes. You know what that's another way? You know what another way to think of that is? The people that weren't at church, okay? Because they felt disconnected. Some of them were disconnected before they ever became tax collectors. 
Some of them were disconnected before they ever became prostitutes. They were disconnected from everybody else. And the religious establishment made it even more of a distance between them. They weren't invited. And I want you to hold on to that word, invite, because two things I need to uh, confess to you. I am completely stealing this sermon. Completely. Um, There's a guy I know, and his name's Andy Stanley, and he's on the East Coast, this huge church in Atlanta. I don't really know how they do things. I don't know any of the details, but their heart is the same as ours. And so there's other churches like us, and I try to listen to what they're doing so that I can learn from them, so we can all learn from each other, because we all are churches for people that don't go to church. We're not trying to get people from other churches, hey, come join us. Hey, come here. We're going to offer this to you. We're going to offer that. No. We have a very specific understanding of why God has placed us here. And they have that same vision. And this sermon is stolen to some degree. Not really too much. But, but this, oh, completely ripped off. Invest and invite. They were trying to talk about how are we going to live this out? How do we give guidance to the people at our church? How do we describe how we're going to do this? There's no perfect way to be a church for people that don't go to church. But they summed it up like this. This is how we do evangelism. I don't know if they ever use the word. Uh, they're probably like us. They don't. But they said, look, this is what we're going to do. To share this good news, we're gonna, the people we're already invested in, we're going to invite them to something that's appropriate for them. Right? So Doheny Days or going to El Salvador or uh, Water Wars or, hey, come over to my house. We're having sushi or... We're going to go paint Boog's house. Yay. Whatever it is. You're welcome to do that, by the way. I've got to paint my garage. So if that is it, but you invite them to something that's appropriate for where they're at. And I love that simple approach. It's easy to remember. Invest and invite. So I stole it. Okay? So give him, put the little TM right there. Belongs to him. But this is who he's talking about, and this is who I'm talking about. The people that weren't invited. Okay, here they get very specific. Oh, the tax collectors and sinners. But there's a huge group of people that weren't part of the temple. And if you weren't in church, hmm, right? What's wrong? In fact, I uh, ran into a friend of mine this week. And uh, we were talking about a mutual friend of ours. And I was like, yeah, I love that guy, man. His family, they were talking about coming to VBS. And I'm going to invite him to this thing. And he's like, oh, man, if you can get those guys saved, that'll be awesome. And it just sounded and felt weird. Like it didn't, it didn't feel right. And he wasn't trying to be bad about it or anything. He, I mean, he really cares for this family. and He lives near them. And, um, but it just didn't settle right. Because I felt that he viewed this person as on the outside. Like, no, I want him on the inside, but he's on the outside. We need to get him inside. Like, we need to get him inside. Instead of, as we've been talking about, like, When you care for them, you get nothing from it. You just want them around. There was another guy from another church there, and he's like, yeah, man, like we've had like four visitors. We have four visitors. That's like a big deal. I was like, who cares if anybody's visiting your church? Like, do you know these people? Like, who are the people that you know that you're walking with? Because sometimes the best place to invite someone is not here. When I was in high school, I had friends going, you should come with me to church. And I was like, yeah, It's not the place for me. That wasn't for them to invite me. And I shared this morning uh, with somebody. I said, you know how I got in? I went and played basketball. They invited me to play basketball. Oh, I'll do that. Let's do that. 
They invited me to something that was appropriate for where I was at because I was on the outside. And these religious people, look at those people on the outside and what does it say? It says they muttered. Another way to say that word is they grumbled. You know what grumble? You know, you have to grumble because you don't want them to hear what you really think about them. So they, grunt, they mutter it or they grumble it or they whisper it because, yeah, we think this about them, but we don't want them to know or at least outright because then I got to deal with that. So let's just grumble and mutter about it. So Jesus hears this when they say this man, Jesus, welcomes these sinners and eats with them. They're on the outside, and he's breaking all of our traditions. You never eat. You never share a meal. Like for us, Western culture, that's not a big deal, right? Like my friend, hey, let's go get something to eat. Hey, let's go do this. Hey, let's go to the beach. Hey, that's normal. But for this culture, no, no, no. That's where the line is. We all have our lines, right? Well, this was the line for them, and Jesus crossed that line. I want you to notice something else that's extremely important to notice here. These guys on the outside felt very comfortable being around Jesus. There was no line they were crossing. They didn't want to be anywhere near these Pharisees, these teachers of the law. They didn't want to be in the temple. Maybe they, they wanted to be connected with God. But they didn't want to be a part of that. But Jesus, oh, I'll go there. I'll connect with him. Is this really the Messiah? Is this really who he says he is? Is this really what I think it is? And there's so many people around us that want to be connected with God. They just really don't like the idea of being connected with a church. So they grumble, they mutter, and then Jesus has a response to them. And of course, that's what we really want to listen to, right? But we need to understand his response is to what just happened. They grumble, they mutter, and so um, right in verse 3... It says, then, another way to say it is, so, so in response, then, because this happened, Jesus tells them a parable. Now, I actually, it's a parable, but it's different than the other parables. Because he doesn't tell them, hey, there's this guy who has a sheep. No, he says this. He says, suppose one of you, usually when you say a parable or story, there was this guy and he had the sheep. But instead he says, well, what would you do if you had a sheep? And he got lost. Okay, so this man, who doesn't exist because they're looking out at people like you and saying, hey, suppose one of you, and you guys are like, I wouldn't have a sheep. Well, that's because you're not Jewish. You're not here at this time. But this is common for them. This is their job to have their own livestock. It's how they live. It's how they, how they eat for many of them. Suppose one of you, because you all know what this is like. You've all been through this before, right? So for you, think of it like you're the cat lady, Okay? And you got a lot of cats, all right? Maybe, imagine that you're actually really into it. I know for some of you, it's a jump. For some of you, you're like, oh, that's me. So imagine you have 100 cats, okay? Grandma Gertie in our family, I think she, I'm not making this up, she may have close to 100 cats. So imagine if you don't have sheep or chicken, you have, you have one of your cats. Or if you have sheep, then you can add that in. But he says, what if one of you had one of them missing, what would you do? So they're muttering about, oh, I can't believe he's hanging out with these people on the outside. And he goes, what would you do? What would you do if your beloved cats or your beloved sheep, who not only are your pets, but especially with sheep, it's like, imagine if you had 100 cats and they were actually your livelihood. Because as we all know, cats don't give you anything. They don't do anything for you. 
They take and they take and they take. But these cats, imagine if they could actually, like, if you could milk them. What? Imagine if you, they could have babies and stuff, and then you could sell them and actually make money instead of just hoping someone would take your cat. That's what the sheep were like. They were more than that. They were their livelihood. And so if you lose one, it's not just a pet. You're losing something that's important for the livelihood of your family. But there's a connection there. It's not just like, well, for some of you, it is your car. But it's like something that is important to you when it leaves. There's something that's not right. And so he says, what would you guys do? You're muttering and grumbling about me and our lack of a line here. But what would you do if something that was connected to you, that was important to you, that was valuable to you, went missing? Wouldn't you all, even if you had 99, you'd leave the 99 because the one that's missing at that moment is more important. The 99, now you have to take care of. It's kind of a hassle because of that one. I mean, you could easily say, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with all these sheep? Like, I, if I go find that one, then I got to ask my neighbor and maybe have to pay him. Hey, can you watch my 99? I got to go. And what if he doesn't care? Ugh. But of course he's going to, wait, you lost one? Yeah, I, I, got, I got these. Go, go, go. But still, you have to, who's going to say, ah, forget it. It's just one. I got 99 left. Just let the guy go. It's his, it's his dumb mistake. He shouldn't have done that. He should know better. I'll just stay here. Your call. You blew it. Jesus is like, would you do that? Of course you wouldn't. And these are sheep. What would you do? Said you would go after the lost sheep. And this part I really like. Until he finds it. You wouldn't just go out for a little bit and go, I gave it 10 minutes. You would do whatever it takes until you found that sheep. You would be relentless. You would be reckless. You would find that sheep. And then when you did, you'd put it on your shoulders and go home. And then you'd tell everybody, look what, I found him. Oh, my God, let me tell you the story. And you'd be pumped. You might invite him over. Hey, let's have some food. Let's drink. Come on. woo look at him. Look at him. Yeah, I know he's a mess, but look at him. He's back. You know, and you'd be all excited because that's what you do. You've all lost something, right? And then you're like, don't worry, I found it. And you're pumped. You don't like, oh, I forgot to tell you. Sorry, yeah, I found it. No big deal. Not a big deal. It's always a big deal. It doesn't matter how small it is. Oh, I lost that pin. Remember that pin? I found it. Woo! Remember that hat? I couldn't find that hat. We were in Mexico. I lost my hat. It wasn't really that big of a deal, but I had people, man, I was looking for your hat. Dude, it's a hat. But when I found it, we were like, yeah, you found your hat. Yeah. I did too. I was like, yeah, I got it. It was a hat. Imagine if it's a sheep. Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. And then Jesus wants to make sure that these guys on the inside understand why he shares this. He says this. I tell you that in the same way, same way as with the sheep, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents, turns around, right? Repent doesn't mean to feel sorry. My bad. Repent means to turn towards God. So one sinner who turns, there'll be a party in heaven versus the 99 that didn't go anywhere. Now, if you know that you have a faith, if you know that God has um, changed your life and you've been walking with him, the reality is that almost doesn't seem fair, does it? Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like we throw the big party for that guy? I've been here the whole time. So have my 98 buddies. We've all been here. 
Why are we rejoicing more for the one that's lost? Because that doesn't sound fair to us. This is the way it is. And it's really not that hard for us to understand. Let's go to the next story because Jesus jumps right into the next story. He has three of them. Bang, bang, bang. Back to back to back. Then he says, well, okay. So suppose. He doesn't even give breath to explain it and ask their opinions. He just jumps into it. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and she loses one. Now, you need to know something about this. It could be her dowry, her savings, but there's something else connected with it. I said the word dowry. Because from our understanding, these ten coins represent the ten when you get married. So you know how you have your wedding ring? There's something special for a woman with her ten coins. She usually doesn't want to spend them unless she has to. Because they hold special meaning. They were her wedding coins. And so she's in her house. She has to have a lamp because there's no windows. Small little house. And these coins that they have... Um, they're not round. So you know how you throw the nickel off and that thing, I mean, it could be four doors down by now, right? These, like, were all misshapen. So when it fell, it's somewhere. So she lights the lamp to hope it's going to do some kind of little tinkle or catch the light in a way it'll glimmer. And then take the broom so she can hear that ching, ching, so she can find it. Because it's at night, obviously. And she's going to search for how long? I'll give it a couple minutes. No, this is valuable. And it's missing, so it's important. She has the other nine, right? We went from 99, and Jesus is now shrinking it down to 10. Okay, we had 100. Now we're down to 10, which means one missing is even more valuable, right? She calls her friends after she finds it. And she says, rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner, one person that's gone astray, who turns and comes home. This isn't that that weird to us. It isn't that weird for us to think of how valuable something is once it's missing. Um, You'll notice I have a new wedding ring. Um, So you know, it's made of rubber. There's a reason for that. We'll get to that someday in the future, but not today. So I have a wedding ring. It's not, um, well... It was the ring that my dad had. My parents got divorced when I was three, so he really had no use of it. And I remember when I was getting married, I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change this cycle in my family. I want that ring. He's like, sure, here you go. And Steph inscribed stuff on the back of it, and it, it's, it's special. It has a lot of meaning. Now, I could get another ring. I thought about getting a wood ring. I thought about, I mean, you can get other rings, right? But this one, it's different. It's valuable to me. And so I was swimming, and I take it off all the time because it's just too tight. I put on some LBs, and it's, uh, it's just really uncomfortable. So I always take it off, and I put it places. And so I'm swimming, and as I'm swimming, I come out, and I'm driving home, and I'm like, <gasps> and it's not there. And it was a big deal because not so much because of what it means to me, but what I wanted to do with it. My plan has been to give that ring to my daughter for when she gets married. And I knew I could fool her. Right? Because she's six, right? I could say, yeah, this is the original one. Or I could say, hey, here's my wedding ring. Oh, yeah, it's my fourth one. I could have said that, but no, this was the original. And so immediately when it was lost, I'm like, oh, man. Well, I could just get another one and then just say, this is my wedding ring. I don't have to tell her, no, this was my original wedding ring. I won't have to lie, but she doesn't need to know, right? But I knew. And so it bugged me. So when I, I came home, I started looking. I could have gotten other rings that are out there, but this was important because it was missing, and I just... I needed to find it. 
And sure enough, I found it. And as soon as I found it, I put it in someplace safe, probably like this lady putting her tin coin someplace safe. And uh, I went and got one of these rings until I get my tattoo right here. And I'm going to put that ring aside because I don't want to lose it because I'm saving it for my daughter. We know what it's like to search for something that's lost. It doesn't sound that crazy to you. You've all done it. You lose your wallet. You might even lose it for a week or two or a month. And when you find like, yeah, you start texting people, guess what I found? Because when something is not secure and it's missing, it becomes important and we go find it. Don't we? So it isn't that crazy for Jesus to share this. He's trying to explain to these people on the inside, look, this is my heart. This is why I'm here. This is why we're doing all this. This is why the Son of God moved into the neighborhood. This is why I'm here. How do you guys not get this? This is the heart of God. If you're the religious leaders, if you're the religious people, if you're the ones on the inside, then you above all people should know God's heart. This is what it's about. And then he goes to a story that we've told on and on and on. Movies have been made about this And this was a parable. And it's the parable of what we call the prodigal son. That's not what Jesus said, though. He said there was a man who had two sons. We've gone from 100 sheep to 10 coins, and now we're down to two boys. And the younger one says, Dad, you know what the rules are here. There's inheritance set aside for us. I want it right now. And he's so bold and so in his father's face that his father had every right by the law to beat his son with rocks. Like, you just don't do what this younger son does, but the dad doesn't. And as we've talked about before, why? Because even though his son is there, they're not connected. The father and the son are not close. I mean, they may be friends and that, but obviously not close enough. The son's like, I'd rather you be dead so I can have my inheritance. That's more important to me than you. So you know what the father does? What's more important to him, his son or the money? The son. So he sacrifices whatever it takes, even the shame of his community, where people are muttering, can you believe that guy? Oh my gosh, what a wimp. Let his son push him around and doesn't care because he loves his son. And if this is his way to connect his son, he'll do it. Not to make his son happy, not because he's a pushover, but because he knows he's not connected with his son. And that's what matters most. Because that's the heart of God, right? So this father divides the property. Okay? Think what the older son must be thinking now. So this young man does what a young man does with a lot of money. He spends it all, parties, does all the stuff. And then, of course, never paid attention to budgeting class at home. Loses it all. A famine comes. And he reaches a point where he knows, I've got nowhere else to turn. A man that is so bold, so bold, that he would get in his father's face and go, give it to me. Turns into this. Says he came to his senses. And now this is his heart. This is the kid. This is where he's at. How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. That's repentance. Not that he felt sorry. He realized who he was. He realized who he actually was. You know how you have money and you know it's coming? So you kind of bank on it? 
you're kind of planning for it. Maybe you're even planning on grandma or grandpa or even your parents passing away so you can get that. Okay, things are tight now, but I'm going to live this way because I know it's going to get good. This guy has no good. He realizes this is it. Not just with his money, but who he is. Because when you have money stripped away, you have your clothes stripped away, your cars, your houses, you realize who you really are. And a lot of us try to cover that up and we miss who we really are. And we miss what God wants to show us. This guy is the healthiest he's ever been in his whole life. He's malnourished. He's broken. But he's the healthiest he's ever been. And so he gets up and goes to his father. And this is how God reacts. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Could have had millions of approaches the father could have taken. Mm-hmm. Just ignored him, right? That's pretty natural. I'm going to let him squirm. Could have actually punched him. In fact, that's what the son thought was happening when he saw his dad sprinting towards him. He was trying to get it all out before his dad actually followed through. Maybe it all built up like, I can't believe he left. How dare my son do that? Now I'm ticked. Now I'm going to punch him when I see him. You know the kid had to be thinking this because that's what he would have done. But filled with compassion for him, instead of punching him, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Remember who's telling the story. Remember who he's telling it to. He's telling it to these Pharisees these religious leaders, these people on the inside. Let's go to the last slide. The older brother hears about this. He's out working, right? He's one of the 99 sheep that didn't leave. He's one of the nine coins that stayed put. And he hears about this, and he hears about this party that's being thrown for his son. Are you serious? We're going to rejoice and throw a party for the guy that took off. He put himself in this situation. Look what he did. He's put us in a worse situation. We have half of a capital that we started with because we had to give half to him. We've all had to suffer here because of him. We've had to change our lifestyle. We've had to adjust for this guy. He comes back and then we throw him a party for that? That's not fair. Sounds a lot like the Pharisees, doesn't it? How in the world is Jesus hanging out with these guys? We've been on the inside the whole time and they get preferential treatment? He's going to go out to them. Why didn't he come to the temple? Why didn't he ask for meetings with us? Why isn't he doing conferences with us? Why is he making his intention to be out there? And that's why Jesus shares these stories. Think about it. What if your son was missing when he comes back home? Wouldn't you all, because of the heart of you as a parent, wouldn't you run to that child? Because at that moment, I love my older son just as much, but that son's more important because he was lost and now he's found. So his father went out to plead, to try to explain to the older... I want you to understand this heart. Look, all these years... Can you go back? Thanks. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. This is the older son. And never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. You never even gave me some steak. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Go to the next slide, please. Verse 31. And then the father and Jesus, who's sharing this story with these people on the inside. My son, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. We had to. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
Branches was started because we're a church for people that are on the outside. We're a church for the one, the two, the five, however many sheep have wandered off. We are here for the coin that somehow just got knocked off the table and needs someone to sacrifice almost everything to go find it. We want to act like the Father, and we want to be the older sons that become more and more like our Father, who will rejoice and actually aid in the process of bringing our younger brother home. This is not new for us. This is something that's in all of us. Whether you are a follower of Christ or not, it's in there. You understand this. Last year, we were camping down at uh, churches, down there on the base, and um, perfect for our family. We just get to camp, which we love to do, cut everything out, and then we get to sit there at the beach, and then we get to surf. Even when it's flat. It was so flat last year. Amazing. And um, so we had the family there, and we had uh, our camp spot here, and then, no, we had our camp spot up on the hill, and then Grandma and Grandpa were down low on the beach. They got the good one. And so we started up there, and our kids would go back and forth, right? It's campground. So they're all there, but not, not Zeke. Where's Zeke? Oh, Zeke must be around. Zeke was not around. So, boom, 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 boom. The lost son, right? I'm on it. I steal a skateboard or whatever it was, and I just start looking for him. So I come back to the spot. He's not there. And I'm like, okay, he comes from here to there. How'd I miss him? So what do I do next? I start getting other people involved, right? That's what you do. So I'm like at the camp spot next door. Hey, have you guys seen? No, I haven't seen him. Now, did they look at me and go, uh, we're eating. Can you come back later? We're a little busy right now. That's not our child. We don't really care. No, because everybody just kind of knows. Wait, what? You want to get a whole beach, get all their attention? Just say, hey, my child's missing. Boom. Everybody pays attention, whether they know you or not, because we all have that hardwired inside of us. And so I'm looking for him. And of course, we eventually found him. So if you wonder if he's still missing, we got him. But I remember when I found him, do you think I yelled at him? No, I mean, you just can't. It's like these emotions, they just, all, all the, all that emotional pressure, all that love to see your most important son come back home. Now, there was no point where Keaton went, whoa, whoa, whoa. What's the big deal here? I'm still here. And not at any point when I was running for him that I go, well... I mean, it's been like a half hour now. I got two more. What's the big deal? Like, that never crossed my mind. They were still valuable to me. They're still my children, but there's one that's missing, and I've got to go and find him. That's what we do. That's what we do. So if you're a part of branches, this is what we will always do. Every, everything we do is based around that. We believe God has put us on a mission. When we talk about investing and inviting, what does invite look like? I'm going to finish with this. That sheep. Why would you put a sheep up here? Okay, I know they're really fluffy, so they're really not as heavy as they look because they're like almost full of, well, it's not cotton, but wool. They've got all that. But still, really? Like, why wouldn't you just use a leash? I mean, it's not rocket science, right? They've got rope. Why don't they just put a rope around and walk? This is why. It's because when a sheep gets disconnected from the rest of the herd, or whatever they call it, when it gets disconnected, they get disoriented. 
they get confused and they really have a hard time walking and they can't really focus because they get messed up. That's how we are. As human beings, if you are alone, if you're escaping from people, I'm an introvert. Yeah, I'm an introvert too, but I know what it's like. When you separate from people long enough, you start to lose your sense of reality and what's important. You were created to be in community. And so this sheep is all confused. So what does this person do? He does what's appropriate. He doesn't go, hey, come on, dude, come follow. Oh my gosh, you're totally not following me. Whatever that sheep is at, he approaches the sheep in that manner. And for a sheep that's been gone that long, you have to pick it up and put it on your shoulders. For that sheep at that time, that's how you invite that sheep. Now, you may have a friend that's at that place in life where they're so disoriented, they're so messed up, you're just like, look, I'm just going to pick you up. I want you to come. I have a bunch of friends. We get together over this house. Just be there. You don't have to say anything. Just sit there. It may be a friend that's like, nah, I'm cool. You can just invite him here on a Sunday morning. It could be that you invite him to Doheny Days. It could be that you just create something that doesn't exist for them. It could be that you just pray for them. It could be that you sit down with them. As I talked with one friend, I said, you've known this person forever. You always talk to me about their faith. Why don't you just say, hey, you know what? You're so important to me that I just want to share what God has done in my life. So what you're inviting them to is just you sharing your story. That's what this is about. It's about knowing how much God cares about them. And if God cares that much and he's coming into your campground and saying, hey, have you seen him? Have you seen her? Don't be that person. Well, I'm kind of busy right now. I got a lot going on. You know what? Then reorder your life because your life is out of order. If I had shown up at that campsite and someone had said, you know, we're about to watch a movie. Like we're just sitting down. I got the big screen up. We're going to watch Finding Nemo. The kids really look forward to it. I'm thinking, what is wrong with you? I wouldn't even waste the time to say it to him because I care about finding my son. But I'd be thinking that, wouldn't I? Like, what is wrong with you? The heart of God is the heart of a father. And so that's what we're all about. Everything we do focuses around that. So I want to invite the worship team up. They've chose um, some songs, which as we talked about before, are like our prayers. So if you could join me by standing. Again, you don't have to stay standing, um, but we're going to start standing. And let's pray for that kind of a heart. Let's pray for that kind of a heart. Let's pray for our friends and our family that we're already invested in and pray for them. Don't do anything before you pray for them. Father, I thank you for Brent. And I thank you. I, don't, I, I never actually asked him what was going through his mind when he invited me to play basketball. But I'm glad he did, Lord. I know that you would have found some other way. But I thank you, Lord, that you didn't give up until you found me. Father, we want to be that community. We will be small, we'll be big, we'll be... We'll do whatever to help you. And we want our hearts to become more and more like your heart. We want to become like you. So we ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen.